Okay, uh, welcome uh, once again to another Throttle Up Radio show and podcast, and I'm your host, Captain Kevin Smith, and I am glad to be here for another show. Okay, and you know, uh, the way we um, kick off these uh, shows, uh, we do uh, every week, we do a uh, radio show and podcast. The radio station is Red State Talk Radio. We are a weekend show, so we do Saturdays and Sundays on both channels. You can go to their website to get the specifics and the particulars. I think I just repeated myself, didn't I? Talking to my audio engineer who is here helping me every week. She helps me out, does amazing stuff. Okay, and uh, so what is uh, uh, Throttle Up all about? Throttle Up is all about critical thinking. And uh, it is a broad subject, and so it's not covered uh, completely in in a day or two or a week or a month. Uh, we've been doing this for years. We've been talking about various aspects of critical thinking and other related subjects. One of them is complex problem solving, which is a problem solving version of critical thinking. And so critical thinking can come in various forms and shapes and sizes because it's a general concept or a conceptual construct. We'll be talking about that a little bit further on in this show and other shows. And uh, we have a new book out. A relate, actually, it's a related book. It it doesn't seem to be on the surface, but it is directly related to what we've been doing for a long time on this show. And the name of the book is The Sonic Warrior Chronicles of a Top Gun Pioneer, and that is published by Redemption Press. They're out of Washington State, and you can get that anywhere. It's all over the place, all over. The book world, if you will. It's also an e-book and an audio book. I would highly recommend the audio book. I think it's a top-of-the-line production. Uh, We put a lot of work into the audio book, and we brought in uh, the very best people uh, that we know of. Um, One audio book's uh, recording studio and system out of Carlsbad, California. And they did our audio book for us. A great bunch of folks and a a great uh, effort as we put this audio book together. Okay, now we're going to start off the show with, uh, this is a continuing series. It's Think Like a Fighter Pilot. And the reason for that is because, well, you know, it's time to just get down to brass tacks uh, and not beat around the bushes, Uh, what we're going to say here is that by and large, we have to start thinking better. Uh, And that requires us to take some action, take some uh, positive steps, take ownership of our mind space. There are a lot of uh, factions out there that uh, want to enter our mind space and occupy our mind space with what they want us to think about. Another way of saying that is with their thoughts. Our position is that we don't do that. We reject that uh, completely. And we assume control of our own thoughts and our own thinking process. If we do that, if we assume control, let's make sure that we're doing that well. That is our primary activity, life activity, primary dedication, primary purpose is to control our own thoughts and to be able to think well. What is the quality and effectiveness of our thinking process? We can ask ourselves that. Are we good thinkers? Are we critical thinkers? Or are we casual thinkers? And are we 
not so good and don't really care because, well, you know, thinking is hard and we're kind of lazy or we're just comfortable in our own place. And it's okay for us to go ahead and and parouse the Internet and get all kinds of things, all kinds of thoughts from other people without uh, consciously producing our own independent thoughts and thinking and what have you. All right, so think like a fighter pilot. It's the whole idea. What is it that we need to understand how do fighter pilots think and why do we need to know this? First and foremost is that we're talking about a group of people and I occupy that group, a group of people that have proven to be successful under the most trying and difficult circumstances. So where would you go if you wanted to learn how to think better? Would you go to any vendor around the block or would you go to a place where they can justifiably say that we represent uh, the top thinkers on planet Earth? And the reason why we can say that is because we have done the most difficult and dangerous and consequential things ever attempted by humans. Okay, if that's where you want to go, then this is the right place to go. This is the top of the list. This is where you want to go and not waste a lot of time. So you want to go to a place like uh, Throttle Up Radio and Podcast and get it from the horse's mouth. So I'm going to have my audio engineer uh, read me the first question. This is the question as we start the show. So here goes. You are a proficient critical thinker and a first-generation sonic warrior and a Top Gun pioneer. Can you tell us all about this? Okay, yes, I can. Uh, <laughs> I guess I guess you could say that I can I can talk about this. What would you say? Endlessly? Is that it? <laughs> My audio engineer is shaking your head. <laughs> you can talk about this nonstop for what? For hours and days perhaps, you know, and, and I'm sure that I'm sure you've heard lots of it, of course, yes. All right, so, yeah, Proficient Critical Thinker, sure. You know, I have a book. It's called Critical Thinking Essentials. And so um, it's uh, gotten five-star reviews. It's available uh, all over the place. You can purchase it anywhere. It's distributed by Ingram, so it's distributed uh, globally, internationally is another word for it. And I have a new book, The Sonic Words. So I have two books uh, in publication right now. Actually, technically, there's three books in publication, but um, I'll talk about the other one later. And, uh, and so, yes, critical thinking is something that I can uh, discuss and provide some meaningful insight into. Now, I am also a first-generation Sonic Warrior. What actually does that mean? Uh, first of all, what is a Sonic Warrior? We've covered this before. A Sonic Warrior uh, is trained in high-velocity aerial combat. Okay, aren't all fighter pilots trained to do that? Actually, no, they're not. Okay, uh, first and foremost, we have to enter the Sonic Era, and the Sonic Era arrived on planet Earth, and in particular arrived at the United States. The Sonic Era began in the United States, followed quickly, by the way, in other, a couple of other countries, uh, Great Britain, of course, uh, I don't want to take, uh, leave them out, in France. Uh, they were, all, uh, all three of us were really at the leading edge of aviation, and the Sonic Warrior arrived uh, 
uh, somewhere in the in the vicinity of 1952. All right, now the sonic capability was first demonstrated uh, in 1947. Chuck Yeager did that uh, utilizing an experimental rocket-propelled airplane drop from a mothership. It, pr- it was basically, it was a, a proof. It was uh, an experimental program uh, jointly sponsored by the government and industry to see if, in fact, we could uh, travel faster than the speed of sound. The answer was, yes, we can. The first uh, production-level airplane was the F-11 Tiger, and that was uh, that uh, was first flown in about 1952. So, uh, sometime after that, humans first started traveling supersonically on a regular basis, and so sonic warfare became possible. I would say somewhere in the mid-1950s, and it evolved as the airplanes got faster and more agile and more maneuverable. Over the course of the next 20 years, sonic warfare evolved as well. I was on the ground floor of that. So I flew the world's first supersonic airplane and performed air combat maneuvers, uh, live fire training exercises, and so forth and so on in the first generation of sonic of uh, supersonic airplanes. And so I was the first generation sonic warrior. Uh, along the way, uh, I learned how to think like a fighter pilot. I learned the art and science of thinking uh, such that uh, it could withstand the stress of operating in a high-velocity world. The bottom line here was, and still is, the the mission objective or the mission statement, which is achieving mission success in a high-velocity world. Exactly, that's the mission objective or the mission statement and the follow-on to that is how do you do such a thing okay so we had to figure that out and then of course I was also on the ground floor of the uh, Top Gun initiative so I am a Top Gun pioneer so, in essence, uh, you can say that I'm a, one, proficient critical thinker, number two, I'm a first-generation sonic warrior, and number three, I am a Top Gun pioneer. <clears throat> and in that role, we were looking at the uh, strategy and tactics of high-velocity air combat maneuvers or maneuvering or another way of saying that, we were looking at high-velocity maneuver warfare, and we were developing high-velocity maneuver warfare theory. So there was, in fact, some efforts, some attempts to construct our worldview of that from a theoretical perspective. The one that did the most work in this area and deserves a lot of credit and perhaps even most, but certainly a lot of credit was an amazing person and warrior uh, called Colonel John Boyd, U.S. Air Force. He was the originator of maneuver warfare theory, and he got his ideas because he was involved in high-velocity maneuver warfare, uh, operating an aircraft that was very similar to the airplane that I flew. He was operating the F-100 Super Sabre. Uh, That was a contemporary, albeit land-based, of 
a contemporary of the airplane that I flew, which was the F-8 Crusader. The F-8 Crusader was carrier-based. It was a little bit counterintuitive. You would think that uh, that a land-based airplane uh, didn't have to deal with all of the requirements and structural imperatives of uh, carrier operations, uh, and so uh, as well as aerodynamic realities of carrier operations, and so uh, it would, once airborne, it would perform a bit better than a carrier-based airplane. That actually did not happen to be true. Uh, the airplane that I flew, with the F.A. Crusader, uh, was a top performer, and it performed as well or better as any of its contemporary land-based airplanes. That was quite a remarkable achievement, and it it actually has gone down in history uh, as having done so. It's not widely known yet, but it's getting more exposure. So the F.A. Crusader was the airplane that I flew uh, primarily, uh, not exclusively, but most of my uh, military time was in the F-8 Crusader. And that was a first-generation uh, uh, supersonic airplane, and uh, that was the airplane in which I uh, developed my uh, skill sets to be a, uh, a full-blown uh, sonic warrior and uh, ultimately a uh, Top Gun pioneer as well. So I was on the ground floor of the Top Gun initiative, and uh, I cover that, actually, uh, both of those uh, aspects of my career are covered in my book, The Sonic Warrior. Uh, my book is out, is arranged in, in terms of episodes, uh, so it's not... It's not uh, a uh, well. I, I guess you could say it, it's it's not a typical book. It's not a prototypical book. It's a, it's different. It's organized differently, and it's arranged differently, and it's written differently than uh, most books. Uh, it's not uh, something that you would uh, typically pick up if you were. Uh, doing a historical analysis, or if you're a historian, I'm not saying the historian shouldn't read it. Uh, certainly should, but it's not designed to be an historical account of uh, a person's flying experience, or an historical account of a particular era or a particular. Uh, battle space or a particular uh, war uh, that they were in get, uh, engaged in. Uh, it's not that kind of a book. It's a different kind of book entirely. Okay, so with respect to that, okay, I have started to work on a uh, I, I guess you would say, you know, the the, the follow-on uh, stuff that it typically occurs after the book publication, and there's, uh, you know, a lot of things that go on. If any of you out there have published books, you know what I am talking about. Uh, uh, once the book is published, uh, your work doesn't end. It's just beginning and uh, hang on to your hats because it's going to be uh, a an amazing ride as you go through the life of a author and a speaker uh, because there are many, many things that are uh, going to occur or have to occur. This is a... What I'm going to read here, uh, it is a, it's a basically, uh, it takes the form of what we call a newsletter. 
this is the follow-on stock to uh, talk about certain aspects of the of the initiative, the book initiative, and the book initiative is uh, is at least in part a explanation of applied critical thinking. And so if you are coming to Throttle Up radio show and podcast to learn about critical thinking, you're going to learn about critical thinking from an application standpoint. Okay? You don't really get that in most other treatments. Most other treatments on the subject are more or less academic treatments on the subject. And I'm not saying that uh, that's necessarily wrong, but this comes from a, or, or what we are doing here on Throttle Up is from a different perspective. We're looking at applied critical thinking. When we say think like a fighter pilot, we're talking about what is it from an application or from a real world standpoint? What is it that we need to understand about how to think better or how to think critically? What is it? How does it work? What does it look like? And so that's what we're doing here on Throttle Up. We are discussing applied critical thinking. We have a book that talks about it. Now, could could we have an titled it Applied Critical Thinking. Uh, probably we could have. Uh, I have chosen a different title and a different uh, uh, orientation to the presentation of it. It is not going to be dry, academic, and a highly technical presentation. It is based upon the concept of stories. And so each episode in the Sonic Warrior uh, Chronicles of a Top Gun Pioneer book, uh, each episode is, in fact, a story. And uh, what, what makes it kind of uh, really different than other books is that each episode uh, can be a standalone event, although it is arranged roughly chronologically, Okay, so it's not completely random, but each episode can be a standalone event. We have an episode on critical thinking. We have an episode on complex problem solving. Uh, we have a discussion. It's actually in the appendix, but we actually have a discussion on the three-body problem. I know. <laughs> I know I'm going to get a lot of strange looks here uh, I can just imagine it when I go out and I've already done some author events already but when I go out there and talk about the three-body problem I'm going to get a lot of strange looks and like Kevin what are you talking about what is I've never heard of this before All right so we do have a discussion that happens to be in an appendix in the book, but we do have a discussion of the three-body problem. Okay, so <laughs> what is that? I'm sure that I am getting a lot of uh, strange looks out there when I talk about it. All right, well, you know, you can go ahead and get the book, of course. You know, The Sonic Warrior, Chronicles of a Top Gun Pioneer, it is all over the place, available everywhere. You can go, you can buy it in, from Walmart. Uh, you can buy it from Target, uh, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, uh, you name it. It could be, you know, anywhere and any place. It's all over the place, all right? So you can get the book, of course, uh, e-book, audio book, what have you. It's all, it's out there. And so you may want to get it. You may want to look at look at the appendix and in and, and the discussions that we have about the three-body problem, all right? And so, yeah, well, that would be that would be interesting for sure. All right. So, on becoming a first-generation Sonic Warrior and Top Gun Pioneer, part one. Okay, 
what is this? Well, this is also, uh, like I said, you can find this, or soon be able to find it, as a, uh, as a newsletter and a posting on the website, uh, on Sonic Warrior, as well as a Throttle Up website, and so forth and so on. All right, so... <clears throat> Let me let me go ahead and start reading this. Uh, I don't have a lot of time left, but let me start at least begin to read this uh, this newsletter. Okay. Introduction. Welcome to the series of discussions and presentations that address on becoming a first generation Sonic Warf Warrior and Top Gun pioneer. We will look at what it was like and highlights several breakthrough ideas that I was able to implement. While Sonic Warriors come from several places, I will focus on naval aviation and the aircraft carrier environment. Keep in mind that first-generation Sonic Warriors and Top Gun Pioneers, such as myself, were faced with challenge, with the challenge of entering a battle space previously unoccupied by human operators. Consequently, little was known uncertainty prevailed, and much that appeared to be workable turned out to be incorrect. New forms of thinking and reasoning became our most pressing challenge, and it quickly became obvious that optimizing the ability to think critically and clarify critical operational concerns prior to engagement with the enemy, that is, maneuver execution, was the key to mission success. Sonic Warriors. I am a first-generation Sonic Warrior and Top Gun Pioneer. I flew the world's first supersonic aircraft, as well as the first aircraft capable of speeds which exceeded 1,000 miles per hour in level flight. High velocity became the backbone of our tactical employment. I began my career as a sonic warrior exactly 60 years ago, flying the F-11 Tiger, the first tactical aircraft to achieve supersonic flight. I flew that in mission-realistic live-fire combat exercises, achieving the squadron's top gun score during this period. Now, Sonic Warriors engage in Sonic Warfare, which is this nation's newest warfighting specialty. Sonic warfare involves high-velocity aerial combat. Let's see, I'm, <coughs> I lost my place here. <laughs> okay, there I am. There I am. All right, so sonic warfare involves high-velocity aerial combat in which the airborne battle space expands... The sonic barrier is removed, uncertainty prevails, and ultra-high velocity and elevated energy levels becomes that which is necessary to achieve mission success. Converting both velocity and energy into a tactical advantage initially began as a pragmatic exercise, but it quickly became apparent that the need to develop a more robust, 
theoretically sound approach to the planning and execution of these highly dynamic combat maneuvers was necessary. This author, along with Mr. Graham O'Neill, were the first on the block to develop such an analytical approach. Now, I also, in the newsletter, I also refer the, uh, the readers to a link to a video of a workshop that we conducted at the Digital Avionics Systems Conference in 1988, which explains that the formulation of the optimum attack plan is mission critical and, importantly, is not an ad hoc exercise but can be assisted by employing the attack planning algorithm. And in this... Uh, in this newsletter, there's a link to that uh, to that video. Okay, <clears throat> next paragraph under high velocity. High velocity entered the realm of warfare as a mission critical enhancement to aerial combat, giving the air combat forces the ability to dominate the airborne battle space, and prevail, thus ushering in the era of sonic warfare. Okay, now let me, uh, I'm going to stop reading for a moment here and, and explain probably one of the most important things that I think is uh, largely overlooked or taken for granted today, right, which is uh, velocity, right? <laughs> let's just look at velocity for a moment, and let's look at, uh, at velocity with respect to uh, the course of human events, okay? And let's tie those two things together, which has never been done, at least I have never seen it done before, uh, in a big picture perspective. But velocity uh, started out, and let's, let's, uh, well, let's say that initially it was a speed at which a human could walk, and then it was a speed at which a, uh, a horse or a camel could travel over long distances. In other words, the speed that a camel or a horse could walk. Uh, and then there was a speed at which a, a, a horse or camel could run. And then there was the speed of boats, speeds at which the boat could travel in the water, uh, utilizing uh, either wind power or currents. And... And then there was uh, the steam era, okay? And then steam became available. And so we had steam-powered locomotives and we had steam-powered ships and velocity uh, became uh, a, a major uh, area of concern. How long does it take to get there? How many hours and days does it take? And that's related to velocity, okay? In other words, the speed of advance. What is the speed of advance? What is your velocity with respect to traveling across the ground? Not velocity in the air. Now, keep in mind here that we're in the air. We're talking about um, some very complicated things, okay, we're not talking about airspeed. We're talking about ground speed. The ground speed is the velocity at which we travel across the earth. Okay. Now, we may be traveling faster than that in the air, but there are other aerial uh, phenomena that we have to deal with. So we're in, in aviation, we're talking about airspeed versus ground speed. We're looking at true airspeed, but we're really talking about ground speed, which is the speed at which the uh, uh, the air vehicle travels 
travels with respect to uh, its relationship to planet Earth. Okay, uh, fair enough. All right, so we have that, and velocity then becomes uh, our uh, key motivating factor. In the era of steam, the steam locomotive could reach speeds as high as 80 miles per hour, not for very long periods of time, but certainly for some periods of time. Typically, it could travel, uh, passenger trains could travel over long distances at 50 miles per hour. And that back then, in the late 19, uh, 1880s, uh, that was considered to be a remarkable achievement to be able to do that. And then we had the automobile. The automobile and auto races, automobiles could get up to, <coughs> excuse me, could get up to a fairly high speed. Some of them experimentally could get well over 100 miles an hour, but not for very long distances. But then we had the automobile, and, and then we had the airplane. <coughs> the airplane, this airborne atmospheric vehicle, could actually ultimately travel much faster than anything else. Okay, so the velocity of the airborne vehicle became a key factor in its design. <clears throat> so velocity, which we call speed, and uh, range and altitude. Okay, we wanted air vehicles to address themselves to uh, speed, altitude, and range. All right, so airspeed, altitude, and range became three of the key components to our performance triad with respect to airplanes, or another way of saying that is with respect to air vehicles. High velocity entered the realm of warfare as a mission-critical enhancement to aerial combat, giving the air combat forces the ability to dominate the airborne battle space and prevail, thus ushering in the era of sonic warfare. How do those two things tie together? Okay, well, at a certain velocity, uh, high velocity, if you will, or we could also call it ultra-high velocity, but at a certain uh, speed that we are traveling, uh, we may be uh, near, at, or above the speed at which sound travels in the atmosphere. Uh, we call that the speed of sound. Okay, can an airplane travel at the speed of sound? The answer was, for a very long period of time, no, it can't. It can't even get close to the speed of sound. We're talking about something that had to be uh, traveling uh, somewhere in the vicinity of 450, 500 knots to get close to the speed of sound? No. But eventually, airplanes were able to get close to the speed of sound, and then they were able to get to the speed of sound, and eventually they were able to travel beyond the speed of sound, right? So faster than the speed of sound. In that realm, we call that supersonic. Once we were able to achieve supersonic flight on a reliable basis, sonic warfare became a reality, among other things, right? So it's not just sonic warfare, but certainly, among other things, sonic warfare became a reality. Sonic warfare consists of ultra high velocities of ultra high levels of velocity and energy increased time compression 
All right, what does that mean? That basically means that that as your speed increases, the time available to do something decreases. It is compressed. Okay, so there's an inverse relationship there. As the speed increases, as your velocity increases, your time available to do anything is shortened. Okay, so that is a uh, that's an inverse of the concept of time dilation. All right, so as the speed increases, the time available decreases. All right, and that the 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 technical term here is time compression time is compressed and then and then uh, also high g maneuvering because you know at when you had, can achieve ultra high velocities your ability to um, to pull uh, high g's or ability actually to 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 pull g's g's is the the force of gravity the ability to turn sharply in a high G maneuver uh, is increased. You have a lot of energy there that you can utilize to uh, to turn quickly, and so high G maneuvering became a distinct reality. Now there used to be high G maneuvering before we encountered the sonic era, of course. But the sonic era brought a lot more of that uh, to the environment and to the battle space. And last but not least, the high velocity enabled, uh, well, it opened up the vertical. So high velocity enabled one to exploit the vertical, opened up the vertical, if you will, and the 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 reason for that is uh, is enormously important. The reason for that, uh, seasoned sonic warriors could in fact exploit the vertical very well. If you were going to succeed in combat as a sonic warrior and as a Top Gun pilot you had to exploit the vertical you had to operate proficiently in the vertical as well as the horizontal plane most novice pilots are not able to do such a thing they can operate fairly well in the horizontal plane but they don't operate very well in the vertical plane uh, seasoned uh, sonic warriors and uh, certainly Top Gun pilots or th that are trained in advanced uh, aerial combat. A top, top Gun pilot is one who is experienced and trained in advanced aerial combat. Okay, let's let's just see if we could uh, clear up the confusion with respect to definitions. Okay, so a Top Gun pilot is trained in advanced aerial combat. A sonic warrior is a Top Gun pilot trained in advanced aerial combat operating at speeds that are at or above the speed of sound. All right, so the sonic warrior has a great deal more energy available to exploit uh, kinetic energy potential energy it has a lot more energy available okay so and so when we say exploitation of the vertical that's what we're talking about and that is you see the vertical is a key aspect of energy. So the vertical actually is potential energy, and the horizontal represents uh, the energy that you have, or it represents that would that which is currently uh, available to you. That represents kinetic energy. All right. So 
we have kinetic energy and potential energy and the third uh, energy component on the energy triad is uh, propulsion energy sometimes it's called chemical energy but basically it's 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 uh, propulsion your ability of your heat engine to propel you forward all right and that requires uh that requires fuel, which is stored energy, right? So we could say, uh, in, in effect, we could say the third uh, energy component is is stored energy. So the energy that is stored in these high-performance uh, jet, supersonic jet airplanes is, uh, is uh, we, call, we call them jet fuel. Okay, it's, it's petroleum, but it's called jet fuel, uh, it is what uh, another way of saying that is high octane jet fuel. That technically is not correct, but you get my you get my point. Uh, it is a uh, it, it's a kind of uh, petroleum um, product that uh, that works very well in uh, in in uh, very efficiently and effectively in what we would consider to be jet engines jet engines are uh, are uh, turbine engines the, they are uh, they are turbine oriented engines they, they are uh, jet a jet engine is a turbine engine is really what it is okay <clears throat> and so it it operates as a turbine instead of a reciprocating Okay, now, uh, sonic warriors as critical thinkers. And that's the next, next section. How much time do we have? Well, not a lot, so we can touch base on this. Uh, are, sonic warrior, are sonic warriors critical thinkers? And the answer is, yes, they are. Uh, they, they, uh, uh, they operate within the concept or within the construct of uh, uh, critical thinking at, uh, at, uh, very high speeds, okay, or critical thinking at sonic speeds. Now, let me read this, because this is pretty important. Sonic warriors possess cognitive attributes distinctly different from others who think and reason while stationary, to perform while attached to a velocity vector traveling at high speed rates of speed while conducting high stakes operations requires sonic warriors to think and reason in unusual and unconventional ways. The ability to think critically and solve a complex battle problem under conditions of ultra-high velocities and elevated energy levels, increased time compression, and high levels of complexity and uncertainty is predicated on superior levels of situation awareness and clarity of thought. All right, that is a uh, roundabout way of saying critical thinking. Okay. All right, so let me repeat that. Situation awareness and clarity of thought considered essential for mission success. It is the author's position, that's me, that knowing how a Sonic-era fighter pilot, Sonic Warrior, thinks can prove beneficial in other domains as well. All right, now, that brings me to this very important key aspect of this whole discussion, particularly in the area of applied critical thinking. And that has to do with human cognition. And I'm just going to touch on this because we're getting up, getting close to the end of this show. Here we will very briefly discuss human cognition. Keep in mind, as discussed in the book The Logic of Failure by Dietrich Dorner that some forms of cognition work 
and other forms of cognition do not work. The challenge is to know the difference. Human cognition does not occur spontaneously from a belief and value system deeply embedded within the intellect. This is referred to as metacognition, such a system of belief or orientation that actualizes one's mind space can be categorized as one, deterministic literalism, or two, probabilistic conceptualism. Okay, now, what works and what doesn't work? Here we are now categorizing and classifying, and probably this is one of the most important things that we have ever presented. We are categorizing and classifying the, the, uh, that which occupies one's mind space into two distinct different things or two distinctly different mind spaces. And we will be discussing that uh, in future shows. And now I'm talking to my audio engineer and she's mentioning to me that we are coming up, are we coming up to an end of another, uh, how much time do I have left? 30 seconds. I have, <laughs> she's great. She says I have 30 seconds to go. I got a little bit ahead of myself, but anyway, so, uh, all right. Probabilistic conceptualism is, in fact, how fighter pilots think. They employ that kind of thinking process. That is what occupies their mind space. We will be discussing that in great detail in future shows. But it looks like this is now... The end of another Throttle Up Radio Show and Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we will see you all next week. <laughs>